Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Tuesday night. I'm going to do the Parsha, uh, which is being sponsored today from Chicago by Bradley uh, Widower. I would pronounce Baltimore, you'd say Widaver with a V. Widaver. Um, in honor of the arts of his great-grandmother, I guess, Bacheva Bas Miriam. Very nice, Bernice. Uh, Zarit. Uh, and the arts that is coming up any day in 28 years. That should be about five days from now. <coughs> so, uh, thank you very much. I hope the Nisham will have an Aliyah from this. And uh, let's take a look at Bahu Kosai. <coughs> because, uh, obviously, it's a Tochacha. And... Just want to share with you an idea that we're thinking about today, um, which is all I can ever do, as I constantly say, and that is, who hasn't, we will, it's not the first time we look in Chukosa, and you have the big Tokach over here. Usually the way people or scholars approach this is like uh, what you find, let's say, for example, in Nachshoni. Go take a look over there. You know, is this referring to Baisrisha, referring to Baishani? It's all kind of theories about that. Some Rishonim of Farsham say, that the one in Vakra is by Srisha, and the one in, um, what do you call it, in Dvarim is by Shani, you know, Kisavo. Some actually say the other way around. Some Samish, one with the other. As I said before, if you're actually interested in that whole subject, which is interesting, get, uh, get a hold of Nachshoni. I did that many, many, many years ago um, when I was interested in that particular subject. However, to be perfectly honest, in our lifetime, uh, the, the Holocaust is what jumps at people. That's what I find. Um, it's kind of funny, not funny, but uh, remarkable, that especially in modern liberal American culture, which I, I mean in a good way, not a bad way, Tocha is a big turnoff. I've heard so many people say of a certain type, not only, I don't want a God that's vindictive and uh, how can be so cruel and you know, the parents eat their children, cannibalism and all this other business. Ew. This is not for me. <clears throat> On the other hand, it has happened. <laughs> you understand? No, this is not some sick dog's imagination. This has happened. So it may be a bad prediction, <clears throat> but it was a prediction. Meaning, it, it has come to pass. And uh, the only question is, is this the fulfillment of the Tocha? <clears throat> is that the fulfillment of the Tocha? <clears throat> Just off the top of my head. You know, the Barbadale said it was the Inquisition. Well, because he lived in the time of Inquisition. Does that mean he was right? Another one said it was by Shaney. Does that mean that was right? Another one said it was by Crusades. In other words, there's a natural tendency for people to say, oh, we had a tragedy recently or something like that. A national Jewish tragedy with massacres and all kind of other junk. That's the Tochacha. No, that's the Kim of the Tochacha. <clears throat> but you don't know. <clears throat> it's a guess. You don't know. So it's totally understandable that in our lifetime, I mean the last hundred years, <coughs> we look at Hitler as a tochacha because you cannot deny that the uh, Holocaust was worse than the other things. It's a six million, or even if you say five million, which is a little closer, 
But even five million, that's a, you never had numbers like that. Plus all the horrible tortures that we're all familiar with that went on there. You know, I'm doing this yesterday. I took a, a high school class. I was asked to take a high school class to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. So maybe that's why it's on my mind. But even not, all the things you find in the Tochab, you know, I'm not being rhetorical over here, you can find in the years 1938 to 1945. You really can. So, uh, especially the terror and so forth. Although there have been other times of terror. I mean, just off the top of my head, at the beginning of um, the Megillah, what do you call it, the Medrash Rabbah Megillah Sester, you see that, uh, I think it was Rav, that was the time of Haman, you know, with the three days when they were scared to death of Haman. But Haman had a good ending. Hitler had a bad ending. Meaning the whole story with Hitler had a bad ending. Now, that led me to think, and I want to tell you something interesting that I noticed. Because <clears throat> it sounds to me, now obviously we're in the area of guessing, it sounds to me that this really did does apply to the Holocaust. I'm not saying that I know everything and all that, but I'm simply saying that it, it does fit in, in a very peculiar way. And I'll tell you what I mean. Anyone who's studied Bechukosai <clears throat> in any sort of detail knows it's not simply <clears throat> a bunch of curses that if you don't keep the Torah, then this will happen to you and that'll happen to you. I mean, right? But um, instead, I think you know <clears throat> they have this theme of Kerry, that if you consider it's just happenstance or Mikra, Miltelchimu, <clears throat> the Kerry, you know, Halachim and Bechamas Kerry. And Sans Ravel Hirsch has a whole thing on this, I remember. <coughs> Excuse me. You say it's about, it's from Kerry, from Mikra. Just happenstance. Coincidence, then I'll hit you double and triple and seven times. And at the end it says, <coughs> which is a puzzle I'll get back to later at the very end. The theme of happenstance. <coughs> now I'm telling you something. That means that all these misfortunes will strike the Jews, but they'll just say it was a coincidence, as a happenstance, or contention, if you want to use the English word. You know what I mean? <clears throat> it happens once in a while. It happened to happen to me. Now, that's extremely interesting, <clears throat> because that's a very unusual mindset. The Torah is written 3,000 years ago. <clears throat> Sorry about the cough. Uh, 3,000 years ago and more. Um... People at that time didn't believe in Mikra, <clears throat> in happenstance. I'll tell you what I mean. Are you going to tell me, for example, that the Tochacha applies Churban Ba'is Rishon, or something like that? No. Why? They didn't say it's a Mikra, it's a Keri. They said uh, that all this is striking us because we failed to worship the idols properly. Like it says in the book of Yermiyahu. You know, ever since we abandoned the Malchus Shemayim, ever since we abandoned the Queen of Heaven, which was a god, we've had misfortunes. Which, of course, drives the prophet Jeremiah crazy, but nevertheless, <coughs> they're attributing it to something. Or, if you look at the bias Shani, people attribute it not to Kerry, but to some kind of, you know, the Roman gods or this or that, and, you know, who knows, you know. I'm not referring to the rabbis in the Gemara that they'll say, you know, I mean, that's a rabbinic attitude. I'm talking about, what did the Hamun Am say? They, in Bayes region, <coughs> there was a Vodazar. That means that people had deities 
to whom they could blame for the fortunes and misfortunes that struck them. They didn't just say, it's just Bemikrahu. Um, same thing in Second Temple, and same thing in the Middle Ages <clears throat> that followed it, which was an age of faith. When the Jews found themselves, uh, you know, as uh, the Crusades or Inquisition <clears throat> or the pogroms in Poland or things like that, whatever ways in Germany, they didn't simply say, oh, what a bummer. Mikrahu, it's a carry. Just happened to happen the wrong time, wrong place. I was in the wrong thing, wrong place. They didn't say that. They <clears throat> blamed it on things. Uh, maybe they said Hashem is punishing us. That would be the frummy attitude. Maybe they said, you know, the ghosts here are angry at us or something like that. Like in Germany, they used to believe that kind of stuff. <clears throat> you know, they they found um, deities, forces, to whom they could attribute the misfortunes that were striking them. It's like a basic feature of pre-modern thinking. It wasn't only the Jews. <clears throat> it was everybody. The Muslims, the Christians, this, that, and the other. When stuff happened to them, let's say if we're in San Bacchus, it was a flood or something, a tsunami. They didn't say, well, bummer, it just happened, you know. Give me a scientific explanation. They said, we are being punished by the Lord. Right? Or the saints or whoever. Uh, and Jews too. So, century after century, when you find the kind of things that strike in the Tochachah, all the different sorts of uh, you know illnesses, and the, you know the the land being shmama, and all this other business, uh, you don't find that the Jews said it was a mikra. You understand? You don't find that the Jews said it was a mikra. They struggled to understand it. Theodicy is not an easy business. Chas v'chalil, somebody has a loss, they don't hear no explanations, like in the book of Job. I mean, all that is part of the human condition. No question about it. But they didn't simply say, is a carry, which I repeat, is repeated in Bukhukosai again and again and again. Just take a, a chomash and highlight every time he says, you know, the word carry. Bim be'elosi vas reli v'alachni mekeri v'alachni afani mechem bekeri Every time he says that, I'll hit you sevenfold. <laughs> so you know it wasn't a mikrahu. Right? Now, um, I'm going to contrast that now with the Holocaust, which took place in the modern era, 20th century. What's the characteristic of the modern era? Most Jews, <clears throat> this is sad, but a fact, most Jews um, lost their beliefs. Uh, didn't believe in God anymore. Had a materialistic uh, outlook. Talking about philosophically, materialistic outlook. No, there's no room for a, a, a deity or a God that punishes or anything like that. This is uh, the nature of modernity. Of course, there were still plenty of from Jews around. There were. But Rove, I think, wasn't. I'm pretty sure about that. And certainly in many of the countries that we're talking about. Uh... You just look at the photos. I mean, that's that's what it was. And so, in point of actual fact, what did the six million, if I can use that terminology, what did they say in the years 1930-1945? I'm not talking about the PSN or Rebbe or something. I'm talking to a regular person. The average Jew simply said like this. <clears throat> it's a bad place and a bad time. I don't know why this is happening to me. To something, somebody. They didn't say, oh, Hashem... They we're being punished for Averis. Now I want to do tshuva. 
And then, yeah, most didn't do that. You see? Uh, and so, de facto, <clears throat> this is a function of the fact <clears throat> that the Jews in the modern era, from around the time French Revolution, Haskell onwards, uh, changed their whole <clears throat> Matthias uh, as a price for gaining acceptance into Europe and civil rights. The Jews had to give up a lot, and they were willing to do it. I was actually thinking, by the way, of giving a talk about this in connection with like another Zionism order or a Yom Yushalayim thing, maybe if I find somebody for that, um, about the three Shulis, you know. But anyway, what happened, therefore, was that the Jews ended up embracing Keri, Mikrahu. Because if you have a post-religious um, identity, a post-religious way of thinking, then things that happen are Keri. I'm not saying it in a way to make fun of people because from a scientific perspective it's, it makes sense, it's true. It takes faith to see beyond right, beyond the immediate phenomena. And people lost their faith as part of the whole urbanization, modernity and everything that went along with the whole trends that affected the Jews and others but especially the Jews in the course especially of the 1800s and the early 1900s. <laughs> And so what happened when the Jews were hit with Mikra, uh, with uh, the rise of Hitler in the 30s? They said a hundred reasons. None of them said, oh, we got to do tshuva. Hashem is showing, giving us a warning. Um, you know, a firm person will say like this. Oh, you see 1933, 34, 35, and they're stopping this, and the Germans are doing that. Before they even got violent, they said, oh, Hashem is sending us a message. We better change, blah, blah, blah. They didn't do that. Instead, people like this, we have to fight, have to discover ways of combating anti-Semitism more effectively. To be perfectly honest, <clears throat> most Jews were in a state of denial in the 1930s, and they said this will go away, and Hitler will change, or the Germans will get rid of the government. If you read up about what people think at that time. And it's got worse and worse and worse. The only thing they could talk about was like Hatzola. And that's the best of them. Most Jews were indifferent. I'm sorry to say this. Not the ones that took it on the kisser right then and there, but I'm talking about the Jews in America now and away in other places that were safe. They didn't say, oh, let us come back to the Lord or something like that. See, you didn't have a biblical type phenomenon in which a great misfortune, which was happening over several years, generated a, uh, you know, Oz Yikonaliv of Omhe Orel, a breaking through of the shell of obtuseness that covers the heart, what they call Orel Salev which means an inability to react religiously to a terrible phenomena. Um, it's, like, it's, it's an inability. That's the or less alive means that. They, they, they can't... Um, they don't know how to respond. That, to my mind, is, is, is the modern Jewish condition for so many. They simply are not trained to respond in any kind of religious way. It's not like most of them had any kind of chinuch. And if you don't... You can't expect somebody to say, you know, God sending a message. Unless a person is trained that way and is okay with being trained that way and is in sync with that way of thinking, you know what I'm saying? You don't attribute everything that happens along the day to some divine hand. Now, if you're real from, you'll say like this. If I stub my toe in the car, Hashem made it happen for a reason. If I got a flat tire in this place and not in that place, Hashem is sending me a message. 
You know, that kind of way of thinking. If I bit my my, my lip by accident, Hashem must be telling me, stop saying Lashon Hara. You know, that whole mode of thinking. But modern man isn't like that. Modern man says, I bit my tongue because of, you know, this dental reason or something like that. Uh, if I had a flat tire, it's because I didn't take it. It's my own stupid fault for not taking, checking out the air or something like that. Now, that means modern man is characterized by carry. What taka happened? And again, I'm doing this because I was thinking about this as the Holocaust Museum yesterday. It's quite striking because you look at the Tocha, and again, I assume that most of the readers, or I mean listeners who are listening to this, it's not the first time you're looking at the Tocha, and you must see that it goes in graded fashion, even by reading the plain text of the Chumash. But if that's not good enough for you, read Samson Raphael Hirsch. I'm going by memory over here. Hirsch had a very nice way of saying, step one, you, have a, you know, this happens, and you have a chance to repent and it'll go away. Then comes step two, same thing, step three and step four and all that. Well, that's what Hitler did. The Holocaust was a slow process that ratcheted up little by little. First, when he came to power in 1933, the whole idea was to undo the emancipation of the Jews and put them back in a ghetto. If not in a physical ghetto, uh, which wasn't feasible in Germany for a number of reasons, in a legal ghetto that they couldn't, uh, you know, uh, sit in a chair and go on a bus and eat, and, uh, you know, like used to have for blacks in the South in America. And they'd be driven out from jobs and stores and all this other business. That was only stage one. At that point... Nobody was actually physically um, killed. And the idea is, excuse me, which is to the Jews in 1933, in Germany and in, elsewhere in Europe, especially the countries bordering on Germany, are supposed to have said, if you follow Parshas with Gugusay, oh, um, this is bad, we better do Chuba. And then things will go away. Hitler will get a heart attack and, you know, the uh, democracy will come back to Germany. Something like that. <clears throat> but, of course, nobody responded. Because all they said was, you know, the, the current regime is against the Jews for this reason and that reason, the third reason. Um, we look for secular answers to these uh, kind of problems. Um, what the Jews ended up doing, they had no answer, was they tried to find countries that would take the uh, German Jews in that way, Hitler could say, I kicked all the Jews out without hurting anybody. <clears throat> and aren't I great? And the Germans would have loved him for that. No Jews, you see? It's like talking to the KKK. I'll get rid of all the blacks, you know? That's what they like. But it proved to be a brachal batol because no country would take him. And I think many of you listening to this are aware. I'll just say the word St. Louis. Remember the ship St. Louis, you know? <clears throat> that no country wanted to take the, the, the Jewish refugees. <clears throat> they were stuck in Germany, for the most part. I mean, there were some exceptions. The whole Washington Heights are the exceptions. But for every exception, there was 10, there was not an exception. <clears throat> and then, <clears throat> it got ratcheted up with the Kristallnacht, when they actually got violent, uh, to a limited degree on people, but a heavy degree on Scholes. And he got away with that also. And then, in Teilchum <speaking> Then started World War II in 1939. And Hitler all of a sudden found himself in, uh, owning a couple million Jews. And for a while, he didn't know exactly what to do. He hadn't made up his mind. Uh, but the Jews started getting, uh, dying from this, that, you know, in ghettos and things like this uh, in, in huge numbers. 
but it still wasn't a full business. And again, so 1939, let's say, for example, to 1941, was another case where he said, uh, The Jews should have responded in some way. I mean, it's easy for me to talk, but that's why I'm talking, <laughs> you know. Uh, hindsight 2020. <clears throat> uh, but there was no way, because the, the Jews, even in countries like Lithuania and Latvia and those places where they're smack in the middle of the German line of fire, they couldn't change who they were because modernity and assimilation had covered the heart with an, with an, with an Arla. I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting if you study from that angle, at least to my mind. And so, since they didn't respond that way, so then it ratcheted up even more. And we started the full Holocaust business starting in June of 41, when they invaded the Soviet Union and they shot in six months one and a half million. And even at that point, it's not the most uh, extreme bad as that was. And again, theoretically, the Jews that were left alive should have had a religious change of heart or something like that. But they didn't. And uh, then started 42 with the industrial slaughter, you know, with the uh, extermination camps. Uh, many people are not even aware that the main extermination camps, you know, uh, Helno and Belzec and all these other places, nobody even heard about them. That's where you just got off the train and went straight to the gas chamber. Those places killed a velt of people. Not that Auschwitz was far behind, but Auschwitz was also a work camp. Anyhow, you see my point. And so it went down to the end of the war. Right? That's the end of the war. And the language in the Tocha is really, stri- at least to me, is striking because towards the end it says, uh, that whoever survives, you know, will be, uh, you know, uh, shrunken because of their sins, meaning they'll be suffering. Uh, and then eventually they'll, they'll um, confess their sins. Which of course did not happen. That's a funny expression. Let me read the Hebrew to you straight. You'll see why it's it's very very difficult to translate in Hebrew. Has one translate that? Well, I I understand the easy part. They will They will confess their sins and the sins of their fathers. In their uh, betrayal that they betrayed me. I, I know that much. So that mean that they will confess the fact that they went against me, Bekeri? Or does it mean, as Rashi wants to say, perhaps then their heart will be humbled? Uh, you know, uh, uh, how's it go? Here's what I was talking about. That's what I meant to say. What does it mean? Then, then their their proud heart will be will be humbled. So uh, Rashi says, I'm reading here from the art school, the, the regular stone comments. You can look at it yourself on page 715. They're translating Lafi Rashi. And it says, I'll bring land to their enemies. Perhaps then their unfeeling heart will be humbled and they will gain appeasement for their sin. See, even Hashem is saying it won't necessarily happen, perhaps. And the reason I mention it is because <clears throat> I just laid out a theory, and of course I'm just it's just a theory. 
Now I'm saying this because I'm from my generation, which is the generation after the Holocaust, and my parents were in the world, or is it? So to me, uh, when I'm looking at now, I'm just saying what speaks to me, because uh, I could be wrong. I mean, I'm not, I, I don't know the reason why 1939 happened, and 1941 happened, and 1942. I mean, you know, I, I'm not God. But you've got to admit that the pattern is kind of striking there, except that what happens at the end? You can't say that as a result of the Holocaust, everybody got from or something like that. This didn't happen. If anything, sometimes the opposite. Now, really, 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 if I wanted to, you could make something of a counter-argument, but it would have to be a very sophisticated argument. A little bit too sophisticated to sound good. It's like the guy who wrote that book, Bechema uh, Shvucha, you know, that as a result of the war, a lot of the beliefs that Jews have really had in uh, Western culture were, uh, you know, shown to be disillusioned, were shown to be illusions. Uh, you know, it's, um, I think that's too... Uh, for from the uh, uh, pseudo uh, uh, sophisticated, but nevertheless, it's interesting that at the very end, because I'm reading you from the last psukim in the Tochav today, and it says, "Perhaps they'll do tshuva. Perhaps their hard heart will be uh, humbled." Uh, and then it says, "This is Ela and then things will be good. Um, can't say as a result of the Holocaust or something like that that the, the arrogant hearts were humbled. I mean, those everybody said, "Oh, we were wrong, and we want to come back and keep the Torah and all the rest of it." It didn't exactly happen, and that's the trouble with trying to read Tochen to any specific historic event. Even though it sounds very believable to me, it, the pattern never totally fits because what's What's reason? What's however to contrast that? It doesn't say they will repent. It says maybe, like Rashi says, "Oh, Ozi is Ulai." You know, maybe. Um, in which Hashem is basically saying rhetorically, "I hit him with a Holocaust, and, and only a maybe that they'll change." You see, uh, the only thing you can say to make the theory of the Holocaust work is the pasuk that comes afterwards, because. It doesn't say they will for sure um, uh, repent. I, I'll read it in English again. Perhaps then their unfeeling heart will be humbled and they will gain a peace and for the sins. In other words, perhaps. But perhaps means perhaps yes, perhaps no. And then the next Pusik says, Doesn't that sound like Israel? I'll remember the Bris of Yaakov, meaning maybe. They'll repent, maybe they won't repent. Either way, even if they don't all have collective repentance, Hashem says that, um, uh, what do you call it? I will uh, remember the land. Okay? Now, um, it's weird because as arts tales, the land will have been empty of them for a long time. You can read the Hebrew that way. But then, of course, it says, uh, you know, Loma asking Lo Alto Alasamo won't kill them all. Because the Khartan priest we shown him and and you could possibly read that as was coming in Israel, which is a short story now. Israel's only around for seventy years. We don't know what it's gonna really be like. It's taking the baby steps. With all the stupid stuff that goes over, it's taking just the baby steps. But nevertheless, uh, it's I'm simply you know, suggesting to you that if you want to think something through in an interesting way, you and I, 
We live near 2022, which is not that long after the Shoah. And today, we're being sponsored by somebody for a great-grandmother. I mean, that's the generation, grandparents, great-grandparents who lived through that era. I don't know where the lady was at the time. Um, I think it, it wouldn't hurt us. I think it would be interesting, in my mind, to try to fit along the lines that I just suggested today, tonight, the events of 1933 to 1945, and perhaps the events including up to 1948, you know, uh, into what you see in the Tocha. If the Barbell can make the case for 1492, and if, uh, you know, who the Rajbam or Sala can make the case for 1096, and if somebody else can make the case for Kamel Nitsky, and someone else can make the case in the Chazal, you know, for uh, in the Medrashonecha, you know, for the Bais Sheni, Chum Bais Sheni, or for Bar Koch, or something like that, it strikes me that one could uh, make the case pretty strongly. Uh, the the most recent Tochacha uh, happened not that long ago. And uh, it's not that it was followed by Nirvana, you know, but it was followed by the, by the return to the land. I'll remember the land. That's uh, not the way Rashi reads it, but it does say Var says Kar. Now, um, that would mean that even in the absence of Teshuva, you still have Var says Kar. I'm not 100% sure how you, how you work all that out. Because, like I said before, it never fits like a bullseye. But I have a strong feeling that, what's the expression? It's warm, you know, it's in the ballpark over there. So I would suggest, I'm serious now, I would suggest that this is something you may want to talk together with the person you're walking to show with or walking back from the show with and see how the pattern works out. Uh, and I think it behooves, in my personal opinion, is it behooves us to do this because it's supposed to take the psukim and the chumash, especially something like this, and see how it applies in, in our lives, meaning in our lifetime or our general era that in which we are living. Anyway, I just wanted, like I said before, that's my take on this. I wanted to, to share that. Pachukosai um, is very powerful in that way. <clears throat> there is a famous story that I'm sure many of you heard. And with that, I'll close. I read it from Riskin or something like that. <clears throat> where the Kleisenberger Rebbe, who was in the camps, it wasn't the Holocaust. My, my, I told you, my father was with him in the Dachau and uh, also in um, in the DP camp in Felderfing. Right? So the Kleisenberg Rebbe used to say, after um, the story is, that after the war, he said, you don't have to repeat the, the, the you don't have to say the Tochach or the Balkari in a low voice and quickly, because you have nothing to worry about. We already just went through it. Which, if that story is true, then, then it means that he himself, of course, on his own personal basis of experience, tied that the Holocaust was indeed the Tochach. That's quite a statement I just made, because he was identifying he was a big rabbi, you know, and a big tamachacha. He was he was identifying, as I just said, the tocha not with the Spanish Inquisition, you know, and not with Chmelnitsky, and not with the massacres at the time of Nachum Breslau, whatever, but with Hitler. Um, hello, Doverho. Uh, now I'm sure he did it because he lived through it, you know. But even so, uh, for you and I, that's the overarching uh, reality. Uh, it strikes me that when you come to Parshavachukose, I've gone a little bit too long, but I wanted to make that point. And once again, I want to thank the Whitaker family in uh, Chicago 
and uh, hope the Nisham will have an Aliyah. And with that, I bid you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.